welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about reindeer and those who love them in whatever way that might be. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller. I use she, her pronouns. My name is Micah Silver, and I'm a child care provider, and I use they, them pronouns. And today we're talking about Frozen. And Frozen 2. And Frozen 2, right. These movies are centered on a female relationship and, like, a sister relationship, which you don't really get to see a lot, which is amazing, and a really good positive one. So, of course, we had to do these movies. Plus, I kind of wanted to... This is our first Christmas together as uh, as a class in Anthropology of Girlhood. I kind of wanted to do a little Christmas programming this month. This will probably be the only December that we do this because they're a little light on the ground. So, the closest I could get was Frozen. It and takes then, place in winter. It takes place... In, well, actually, it takes place in summer and it becomes winter because of magic. But coming out on Christmas Eve will be Black Christmas, which is also not a Christmas movie, but is set at Christmas. <laughs> you can see a theme going here. So, yeah, there's a theme kind of-ish. You should absolutely watch this movie. I have yeah. so few complaints about this movie. It's... Yeah, I think this is the, you'll hear it in the episode, but this is maybe the movie we've had the least complaints about ever. Yeah, it's an amazing movie. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, oh, so in case you haven't seen this movie, which, or these movies rather, which you should go do, um, we're going to, we'll run through the plot really fast. The plot of Frozen, we, our main characters are Anna and Elsa, princesses of Arendelle. We, Elsa has magical ice powers with which as children, she accidentally injures her sister and so hides away her powers, and they magically erase them from Anna's memories. As adults, they lose their parents in a storm, uh, and so Elsa becomes the queen, but on her coronation day, her powers go haywire, and she creates a land of endless winter, so she escapes into the woods. Anna follows her with the help of Kristoff and his animal companion Sven, the reindeer, and... They're the power of their, you know, sisterhood love uh, brings Summer back. And, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, in Frozen 2, Elsa unlocks four elemental powers uh, and an enchanted forest. Anna follows her sister into the forest to try to bring balance back to the world. Elsa finds out she's the fifth uh, spirit of sorts. A dam breaks and then their sisterhood is apparently the balance between humans and nature and it's all beautiful and lovely. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Anthro267. You can email us at anthropologyofgirlhood at gmail.com you can subscribe to our patreon we have now a new patreon you can find us at patreon.com slash anthro 267 our first bonus episode will drop later this month it's about a christmas story so you know if you want to see what we actually have to say about yeah. the holidays bob clark's 1983 classic a christmas story yeah if you want actual christmas content this month You've got to go to the Patreon. <laughs> Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. There are no trigger warnings. There are no this trigger year. warnings. This, this one, watch, listen to this one with your kids. It's great. It's awesome. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, yeah. Cool. So I was a nanny when this movie came out. Oh, so you had to watch this movie a million billion times. <laughs> I. So I had this family who had four kids and I would only have all four of them about once a week uh, for date night. And 
the eldest was about seven, so like prime right, perfect Elsa age. age. Yeah. Every weekend, have to watch Frozen. Every weekend, she would forget that we watched Frozen last week. So I have no idea what's going on in this movie. So she has to explain Frozen to you every week? And I am not allowed to sing along because I don't know this movie. Because you don't know it. You've never seen Frozen before. I think it went on for like two months. You got to put the kibosh on that stuff eventually. The child hyperfixations that I've gone through are interesting. When I was a kid... When my parents were getting divorced the first time, um, they didn't succeed. It didn't take. Uh, but my dad was, like, doing everything to try and, like, be the good, like, you know, right. dad. The good, like, dad I didn't live with or whatever. Um, and so he used to just, like, let me do whatever the fuck when I would go visit him on weekends because right. he just wanted to be, like, cool divorced dad. Right. So when I was, this when I was, like, seven or eight years old, um, this movie came out that was basically just, like, a blatant Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ripoff. Oh, fantastic. Called uh, The Warriors of Virtue. Where um, it's it's sort of like teenage, it's sort of like, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but Teenage Mutant Kung Fu Kangaroos. Jesus (laughs) So they they weren't ninjas, they did Kung Fu, there was a lot of like Chinese like mythology Uh and stuff built into it, which was really cool, a lot of Taoism. Yeah, they were just like fighting kangaroos, and each one of them had like, was one of the Chinese elements. Oh, cool. The Wuxing, I think. Don't fact check me, nerds. Yeah, anyway, so I made my dad go see that movie six weeks in a row. I don't know how that movie... That movie today would not be in the theaters for six weeks. I tried to watch it as an adult, and I fully couldn't get through it. Oh, it's that bad. It's so bad. It's so boring. Nothing happens in the middle third. It doesn't make any sense. It's so weird. And yet, it like... Going back to it, I'm like, so much of this informed by (laughs) who I am as a human being. It's so, like, the Taoism and, like, it takes place, like, his, like, safe space at the beginning of a movie is, like, it's the back of a restaurant. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, he gets bullied by some kids into doing some dumb shit, like... It's got my name all, all over, over it. it. But yeah, I I made it must have made him go see it like six or seven times before he was finally like, Can we do anything else? <laughs> this is terrible. Oh So then I just made him we, we did three things. Went to see Warriors of Virtue. Uh eventually we went to see other movies too. Um Rented uh, video game consoles from the Hollywood Video. Oh, rented a Sega Genesis don't or date whatever. Me like that. Um. Yeah. Wow. Tell me you grew up in the nineties <laughs> without telling me. We used to rent video game consoles from the Blockbuster. You would call them ahead of time. No. Um. And then we would go to the zoo, the Vilos Zoo in Madison. Oh yeah, because uh, he lived in that area. Uh, I love that zoo. It's a good zoo. It's a fantastic I zoo. I remember watching polar bears forever. Oh, my God. Uh, my 
my grandfather was lovingly con- considered and like called the polar bear as uh, when I was a kid. So like I was obsessed with seeing any polar bears anytime I could. Huh. Uh, that and otters. I fucking could watch otters forever. What is it about sea mammals? I wonder. I don't know. They swim re- in weird ways, and I think yeah, it's entertaining. I feel like they should be able to be that fast. Sea mammals are terrifying and remind me that the alien world that's going to attack us is coming from below. And- <laughs> Not above. And it's going to be way weirder than anything we oh, can imagine. So weird. I promise you when aliens come, they will not be humans with some fucking meatloaf on their heads. (laughs) They'll be (laughs) like energy squids who live in eight dimensions. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, we should actually talk about Frozen. (laughs) (laughs) I just really, like, this movie made me, like, weirdly homesick. Yeah, I get that. I mean, like, part of it is there's snow everywhere. and Like, we don't get snow here. No, not the way we got back home. Which is sad. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, something about it just made me like, oh, I gotta go back to the fucking rural Midwest. <laughs> I mean, also, rural Midwest has a lot of Nordic roots. That's and, true. That's uh, true. I did grow up with a lot of, like, yeah, Swedish and Norwegian yeah, folks. So I can understand why that calls home. I. These movies are also, like, gorgeous. So beautiful. Like, the way that they. The way the animators played with lighting is absolutely stunning, especially like the opening scene of the first one with like the ice at sunset streaming yeah, through yeah. is incredible, and the and water a, in the second one is and yeah, like beautiful. the carvings on the buildings yeah. and all the little like details and stuff. It's yeah, it's really beautiful. And then, the I mean, not to mention, like, all the ice and the snow. Oh. One of the things I did read about this movie is that they had to invent, like, multiple new technologies to for, like, all the snow and ice effects. Like, there's an engine that just runs the snow in this movie. That's really cool. Because it had to, like, break apart and compact like you had to be able to see that it was fluffy and then see it get compacted right in a believable way and like stick to stuff in a believable way and yeah you take for granted that you can't just like say to a computer ice like snow you can make a white surface but But like to do all the like weird snow things to get the like stickiness right and the like airiness right wild yeah, yeah, and then to do like all the ice crystal stuff, right? Like, all the like to... fractals. And... Yeah, that is really. I f- I feel like every few years when Disney brings out a new movie, they like come out with like three new generators and programs and something that yeah. have, are breaking. Because th- didn't they do have a whole bunch of like new things come out of Brave with her hair? Oh right, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think if you're a multi-billion dollar movie True. studio, you can probably, like, afford to recruit the best people and pay them a lot of money to figure do stuff out. like that. Yeah. That probably that tracks. is part of it. It's almost like concentrating all of the resources in a small number of hands is explicitly evil. <laughs> because... It allows only those people to provide anything of any real resource. Anyway. This movie has no ties to classism. I mean, except, I guess, they're royalty. But Right. 
But if I talk for more than five minutes, classism will come up. I can't be stopped. I'm a machine. I'm a communist machine. There are so many, like, cute throwaway lines, too. Like, one of my favorite moments in the movie is right in the beginning when they're, like, announcing that it's her coronation. And there's just this little boy who goes, it's not my fault that she's getting coronated. Or, like, it's not my fault. And, like, why am I dressed up? And it kills me every time. It's not my fault. (laughs) I think, okay, so, like, the central thesis of this movie is really that, like... And I think probably the central thesis of this episode is that, like, the love between the sisters is the central relationship. Yes. That 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 not only, I mean, as we're going to talk about in the second movie, that, like, not only brings them together and their country together, but literally, like, the worlds, world. like, yeah. and the two worlds or whatever together. And I, I just think it's so beautiful to see a movie where, like, platonic sibling love is, like, so prominent. Oh, absolutely. Because in so many of the movies we watch, like, the siblings are terrible. Yeah. Or they're non-existent. I think uh, having these, like, very obvious platonic relationships and having positive sibling relationships are it's like it was the first time i had seen it it's one of the first examples i can point to where you're not putting siblings together or that you have siblings who so obviously care for each other in ways that you like anna always standing up for elsa and like she's not a monster she's not a you know something scary and she keeps like she's patient yeah she she is willing to wait like you know when the whole thing with like Elsa hiding her magic happens she keeps trying yeah she's like she really cares enough to keep putting energy into that relationship when it would be so easy not to yeah and that's so beautiful because like I certainly don't think I had that healthier relationship with my my brother when we were growing up because it was it's so much easier not to yeah and you're such different like Growing up is so hard because when you're little, there's so little about you. Right. That it's so easy to be close to your siblings because most of the things about you, you have in common. Right. And then you turn into, you, as you grow into adults, you become like actual human beings who, like in the case of my brother and I, like couldn't be more different. Right. And you, it's sort of hard to see this person that you like really love and care about like actually be a totally different person that you can't relate to right and because as a teenager you don't necessarily have the like empathetic ability to like project yourself into their brain like it's like impossible it becomes kind of impossible to communicate with them if you don't yeah keep putting work into it which is so hard to do it really is and yeah i yeah, I definitely have a complicated relationship with my sibling and it we did have the kind of the similar like we were really close when we were little and it got more strained as we got older. Um and having like I also like didn't especially because uh I had a brother and I was a girl at the time and like I had no way of 
projecting a dynamic that could be healthy on that. Like they, right. when right. you look at TV's shows and stuff, like they're always bickering, they're always getting on top of each other, especially opposite sex. sex. Yeah, like siblings exactly. are never allowed to get along. Right, and so like I think having that like pulled out and called out and like to continue to grow like as you go into the second movie like they've learned from their mistakes they're communicating more and like actually have this projected and easily traced uh storyline of learning from each other and being better together and doing better things for the world around them totally yeah yeah and they like make each other better and they're better for each other like they do all the beautiful, like, healthy relationship stuff that you want to see in any kind of relationship. It's just, like, we so seldom see, like, platonic relationships centered in that way. Right. That people, you know, actually care about them. Yeah. And kids really need that, like, message of how powerful platonic because like for example i work with mostly uh first through third graders right uh so like perfect disney age and already you can see how there are pressures and uh societal pushes that they've interpreted to favor romantic love even at such a young age and having an example of how powerful platonic love can be is absolutely incredible and like i think that's how you can build like that's how you build a strong community is you teach people to love each other regardless of whether or not sex or intimacy is involved right like love doesn't need those things and we all would be better off if we you know loved each other more and put more energy into relationships with the human beings around us yeah and unfortunately, like, because we center romantic love so much, there's this, like, push, this, like, insane drive that a lot of people, especially a lot of kids, mm-hmm. like, there's some of that in this movie that I want to get to in a second. This, like, crazy drive to just, like, pair off and find the person so that you can have someone to to put all of your, like, mm-hmm. love energy into and also some the only person who's allowed to give you that energy back. Right. And it makes you, it like, walls you up in this little, like, two-person community. Oh, yeah. And it just seems, like, really unhealthy, you know, especially in the sort of old model, like, of our parents and stuff who, like, didn't really have friends after they got married. No. Like, they got married and then their partner was their friend and they didn't really hang out with other people because that was not, just a, not how it was done. And, like... That seems so toxic to me. Like, it seems just, like, unthinkable that you would intentionally, like, put fewer voices in your life and not more. Like, that seems, like, totally anathema to me. Like, I can't. I don't understand. We should talk about, like, kid in this movie, like, boy craziness or, like, girl crazy. I don't know how to describe it. Like, I want to call it, like, because it's not horny necessarily. I feel like when you're a kid... Especially it's, like a preteen, you don't necessarily think about it in a sex way. No. You're just like, I just want to be around girls all the time. And I don't know why. Yeah. It's such a confusing time and it's hard to like, Yeah, you know, it's hard to put into words those feelings. And I think we don't give enough credit to middle schoolers for all of the shit oh they're going God. through. I feel like middle school should just 
be therapy. Right. <laughs> I feel like, like I didn't learn anything in middle school, but I needed someone to talk to my feelings about. Yeah. <laughs> the fact, like, we should be teaching emotional literacy in every stage of yeah. schooling, and uh, it definitely needs to be something that is, like, an actual curriculum that kids can be exposed to because when you're a kid every feeling is so big and so overwhelming and you don't have the ability to like you can't understand like you don't have a way to process it and you're not taught a way to process it until you are in your teens or late 20s and are going to therapy for the first time Right, right and it's you know I was boy crazy as hell in uh, yeah, middle I mean, school. I and... was girl crazy, and I, I just don't... I mean, I guess some of it is hormones. Yeah. And some of it has to be society, certainly. But, like, I remember being obsessed with girl. I mean, this is probably also a lesbian thing, but, like, I remember being obsessed with girls from, like, a very young age. And... It, it, it I don't even know what the drive was. Like, I think this is the thing that bothers me, and this is why I always want to talk about this, even though I don't necessarily have, like, a thesis on it. Yeah. It's just, like, it, 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 it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't seem to make sense. Like, it doesn't track for no. me for some reason. Like, it's not a... It's not a reproduction instinct. No. I was six years old when I first called a girl my girlfriend, but it didn't mean anything. Like, it just meant that she was a girl I liked to hang out with. Right. I, so, I have this distinct memory from when I was in elementary school. I must have been in, like, fourth or fifth grade. Oh, side side note, uh, in, in a little bit of beautiful bisexual foreshadowing, um, I also, that girl had a twin brother and he was my boyfriend. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's adorable. Yeah. Oh no, my I God. couldn't have been six because this was, this was like daycare. This was like pre-K or something. So oh. I must've been four. When I was in preschool, my, one of my favorite games was to play wedding with my best friend, with one of my friends. And I would always be the groom. <laughs> That's so beautiful. But, you know, I'm not trans or anything. <laughs> right? I have this uh, story that I tell and this bit in my act about how, like, whenever we played house as a kid, I just wanted to be the dog. <laughs> like, I just want to not be involved in this whole scene. I don't... I, I will just be the dog. I will do my own business in the corner by myself. <laughs> I love it. But to answer your question, I have this distinct memory from when I was in elementary school of friends asking me who I liked and like not having anyone like I was knew I was supposed to huh. and like I knew I was supposed to be like because all of my friends were going boy crazy right. so why am I not turns out I had a crush on my best friend but you know <laughs> turns uh, out you're gay yeah uh but I remember making something up and like starting to act like I had a crush on somebody because I was told I was supposed to have a crush on somebody and it just like snowballed from there and it was weird how like it almost started feeling like an act of like totally. other people expect me to be doing this so that's why I'm doing it right but I also think that there's definitely like you're taught and you're like socialized in that moment. Like you're supposed to like, this yeah. is normal. This is everyone's talking about totally. everyone else right now. Anyway, let's talk about something 
not so dark, not so <laughs> deep. Let's talk about because we both also grew up in a in you know a, a cold place that is frozen much of the year. Like I want to talk about the ice and snow and this movie's yes. like sort of relationship with ice. Absolutely, because like you know this movie opens on like people harvesting ice, you know, cutting it out of frozen ponds, right. Which, you know, like, is a real thing. That's how people, like, that's how iceboxes work for a right. long time. Yeah, I did some research on the ice trade. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's super fascinating. But anyway, yeah, I just think it's so, like, because that immediately we get the the juxtaposition of, like, this ice is our livelihood. Mm-hmm. It's literally our life. Like, it surrounds our entire life. It controls our entire life. We plan our year around it. And it literally provides, like, food for my children. Right. But also, like, it could kill any one of us at any moment, right? Yeah. Like, we, it, this is a Disney movie, so, like, we get it in a humorous fashion. Like, one of the, the baby reindeer falls right. in the water. But, like, for real, you fall in that water and, and you, you are dead in minutes. Yeah. Like, it takes so little time. And, like, I think when you and I grew up, we had that lesson. Like, yeah. I remember that lesson growing up of, like, don't get wet. Yeah. Never get wet. Like, if you get wet outside, you're going to die. Like, yeah. that's death. Yeah. So, like, that constant struggle of, like, you have to live with this thing that might just take your life at any moment. Or, like, even other things. Like, how many people do we know who have slipped on ice and broken hips or broken oh knees or broken whatever? Yeah. or or oh, been hit by falling ourselves been or hit by falling icicles oh or whatever other like yeah. crazy ice shit that you have to deal with like i i don't know and then and then again we get that same sort of relationship again in elsa right, right. that she is both like incredibly powerful and she could do all kinds of like amazing and magical things but it's also very dangerous and she could accidentally kill someone at any point. Right. I, yeah. Something I really appreciate about this movie is it's such, it's so obviously got respect for nature and the world around it and the physical world around you. And I think that's something that is really, it's very important to teach and like, it's something that is such a lovely thing and to have that, like, I grew up going to, like, Superior and, like, taught, like, this is an incredible piece of water, yeah. but it can kill you. Right. And, like, having that, like, relationship of learning to... It's that whole, like, having respect for things and knowing, you know, knowing your own limits as well. Right. And Yeah, like, I feel like that respect for nature, like, that ability to, like, sort of communicate, like, be aware of the natural world taking place around you is a thing that you and I grew up having to do. Like, we grew up camping and hiking and that kind of stuff. I grew up hunting. And I feel like the fact that so many people don't, like, I don't want to be a fucking dirty hippie about this, but, like, I feel like the fact that so many people are so disconnected from that world, like, helps... Helps us to justify things like factory farming and, like, global warming, like, climate change. I'm a thousand years old. I still sometimes accidentally call it global warming. Yeah, I definitely think that that's something that, like, the value of it hasn't been 
taught and passed down and it is really it really does affect the way that we like consider the uh, world around us and how we move through it there's like this very like myopic way of thinking I feel like nowadays where it's just all about you and yours and making sure you get like you take up your little space in the universe rather than you know trying to empathize and care for others build a community community, around yourself which includes making sure that you know the wildlife and plant life around us is just as healthy right yeah i think we've created this human myth and i think the american version of this myth is maybe especially pernicious about like how humans are different like humans are separate we're not animals we don't live in the world we're some sort of like elevated floating brain being that like isn't affected by anything around us and we can make like perfect logical choices all the time Mm -hmm. but we're not computers right right like we're physical beings and we're made up of meat and water and like you know we still have to eat food and that food is animals and plants and like they grow in a place right like from the from the sun like you know like we are part of this it's not we're not just taking space on it right yeah and this movie is like really good at communicating that in the way that disney movies do right right this movie has like a direct envoy to nature or the spirit world or whatever right this movie would would call it in the form of like the trolls in the first movie and like the north aldra and the yep the like element spirits in the second movie but i like that that's like you know that same relationship to nature is like really centered in these two movies absolutely also i think it's telling that this movie was written by a woman oh yeah who is also the co-director on this movie because she had so much input that i read that she uh had so much input on the set of this movie that they made her a director because she was basically doing director's work anyway. That is awesome. I love hearing that. Yeah. I feel like every time I like one of these movies and I'm like, this talks about something really well by a woman. woman. Yeah. Jennifer Lee is her name. I didn't want to not call her out because I just fucking love it when women write screenplays. I want women to write and direct all the movies for the next hundred years. Men had a fucking hundred years, and now it's our fucking turn to write and direct all the movies. Right. I would appreciate that. Um, Since we're talking about the production, we should just do that. Yeah, go for it. Um, So I think everybody kind of knows the, like, famous, the, like, fable of this movie, right? That, like, Disney bought, well... Yeah, bought the rights to, or not bought, I guess, because it's in the public domain, right? But, uh, well, because public domain was a real thing before Disney got its fucking clutches on it. So Disney got their hands on a bunch of Hans Christian Andersen stories. Little Mermaid, Snow White, the Seven Dwarves. Like, a lot of those come out of there. Right. One of the ones that they were trying to make was The Snow Queen, which is a movie they've been trying to make... 
and failing to make basically since the 1930s. Really? Yeah. So they had this movie, The Snow Queen, and I, I'm not super familiar with the original story. Uh-huh. But it's basically, you know, evil Snow Queen turns everything winter and, like, the power of love defeats her. Right. Is my understanding anyway. But... So they tried and tried to make it and it just wasn't working. It didn't stick or whatever until in the 2000s, some somebody was trying to break the story and I guess they came up with the idea of having the sister relationship be central. That That right. is the spark of this movie. Okay. Is what if they were sisters? What if the Snow Queen, instead of being like an evil stepmother or whatever is just a big sister and she's just trying her fucking best and she's doing a bad job because she's not a mom and that right. she didn't want to be and that wasn't right. what she signed up for. That's really cool that that was like such an important spark and like I think it really shows in the movie how thought how much thought went into the relationship between the two sisters. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, that that relationship being central because when you think about it like that powers everything in the movie yeah like that is the engine that relationship is the engine that makes this movie go and if it wasn't there if this was like a classic disney movie where like you know a prince showed up and defeated the snow queen right to win the the princess's heart like this movie would be trash and it would be misogynistic trash but like uh, to get back to one of the things we always talk about is like the women in this movie are fucking amazing. Oh my god, they're so badass. Like they're badass. They don't need anyone. Like they, Anna only ever accepts help grudgingly. Right. Oh <laughs> fuck, they are like some of the coolest women characters I have seen in a long time in any genre. In anything, they're so amazing and like yeah deep and interesting and like yeah and like even the men are interesting which like you have like okay the twist on hans at the end of the first movie fucking gets me every time yeah it's such a it's such a brilliant move to not tip their hand at that right that i i've seen this movie a few times i mean obviously you've seen this movie a hundred fucking times but, like, it, it never gives it away. No. And there's never a moment other than the second where Kristoff is like, you're marrying this guy? You only just met him today is, like, the only red flag where you're like, wait, yeah, you did just meet him today. But there isn't another, like, he's not uh, he's not scheming. There's no. not a scene where we cut away to him, like, like steepling his fingers right. in the shadows or anything. It's, as someone who grabbed onto the nearest person they could for attention because they were left alone for a long time, these are the kind of people, like, that is a real villain out there. Right. That, like, he is... I hadn't thought about that, yeah. Uh, oh, I have... I will get into my thoughts on... I have a lot of thoughts about the parenting in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) But the lack of seeing the red flags because Anna doesn't see the red flags is so... Such good storytelling. Yeah, because we see it through her kind of, like, optimistic eyes. Like, there's a few little, like, in their song together, there's a few little hooks that you can, like, 
kind of like poke and see like his oh. second meetings but like they're so subtle and like it's not like a twist where i'm like oh you didn't show it and now this is just lazy writing it's like good it actually makes sense and like he, the backstory tracks and like there's a yeah. clear narrative happening and it's such a good twist it's so good and it i like that there's that like faint at the sort of like princess narrative right immediately like that's in the first 45 minutes mm-hmm. that she meets hans of that movie oh yeah it's the like within movie. the first 15 like it happens pretty quick they're they're like aha this is gonna be a princess movie and then hans fucks off for most of the movie yeah. until the twist at the end yeah so i really like that they're like, huh, this is going to be a princess movie. Just kidding. It's about trekking through the woods with a weird dude and his fucking reindeer. (laughs) Which, like, I'm a sucker for, I mean, I think it is not a secret that I'm a sucker for servants, but, like, reindeer and caribou in particular are are a favorite of mine. And so I'm a real sucker for all this, especially the second movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with all of the reindeer in the second movie. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that this like has the feel of a princess movie but like doesn't follow the narrative of one at all totally and it's like it was such a refreshing like it was such a refreshing breath of fresh air uh when i was introduced to this movie because i was like oh new disney movie same bullshit and but like to be able to like watch the kids that i work with who grow up on the Disney movies of nowadays where they're actually putting thought behind like the messages that they're sending and are actually like giving them ways to talk about things. And like you, it's amazing. Like, well, like, I mean, at some point we're going to do a whole Disney run on the show. And in that run, we'll have to talk about inside out, which is like one of the great mental health movies of all time. So one reason I love the Frozen movies is because it kind of has a, not necessarily a mental health uh, take, but it gives kids an understanding of making mistakes and growing from them. Totally, yeah. Because, like, Elsa's trying her best, but, like, still hurts people. And, like, still, like, bad things happen. And she's, uh, like, apologetic. She, like, takes responsibility for her actions. She does what she can to fix the said situation and is still loved and accepted and not getting in trouble for making mistakes and still has people who unconditionally love her who are willing to help her fix those mistakes. Right, right. Yeah, who don't abandon her, who, like always have faith in her that's really really beautiful it's stunning and like i feel like i can see the difference in how it's making kids relate to each other because i've been like i was a nanny when i was like 16 17 18 19 you know i babysat and did all of that and then i worked in schools about 10 years later um or whatever um i can do math (laughs) not not 10 years later because you're not that old old, but but yeah close uh And, like, the way my children would react to each other and interact with each other has changed. And kids seem to be understanding empathy sooner and seem to be, like, 
pulling the right messages from the media and it really shows that like if you just put a little fucking thought into yeah. what you are showing kids and showing the world you can like completely change the narrative that you're yeah. living in and i think one of the beautiful things about living in 2021 other than everyone is sick and the planet's on fire is that i think we really are learning that like a lot of things that we took as givens as being the way the universe works are actually not Right. right. Those are, are artifacts of the way we've always been doing things, not necessarily the way things have to be done. Right. I'm specifically talking about communism as I am at all points. <laughs> but I think it also, right, it also has to do with like we just accepted for a long time that like kids are assholes. Right. Teenagers are assholes. Well, like maybe they don't have to be. Like maybe if we taught them, maybe if we were there for them, maybe if we actually communicated with them and supported them through tough times, like maybe we could make informed, empathetic, like, you know, rational kids. But a lot of people for a long time haven't been interested in that. No. They've been interested in their kids shutting up. Yeah, they don't want kids. They want a legacy. Right. And, and they don't want to write a book. No. Because that's harder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying you can't accidentally write. I'm not saying having kids is easy. I'm saying you can't get drunk and accidentally write a book. <laughs> <laughs> but... Oh. That's, I exist, so. Oh, we got to talk about the parenting. So talking about parenting and our continued thesis, the lack of parenting. Right. Here, again, we have an example of parents who decide not to parent their child and tell them to repress their feelings so they don't have to deal with it. Right. Literally, you are, like, literally, conceal, don't feel. It's right there. Don't feel things. (laughs) Do you know what that does to people? Yeah, because it turns out, like, you know, it doesn't go away. No. Right? Like, it, it's just hiding there to be dealt with worse at a at a later point when it comes out in a bad way because you've it you've it's been repressed. Right. You know who wouldn't uh, freeze everything and send them into eternal winter? A well-adjusted kid who knows coping mechanisms. Right. A kid who has practiced some meditation techniques and knows how to take a second, imagine they're a mountain, let their emotions flow over them and not not be affected by them. Maybe teaching that fear is not the only thing that needs to <laughs> Just drive like your life. Just like outed my own meditation <laughs> technique. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I can share on this podcast. I like the mountain meditation. It helps me a lot. Anyway, go on. As a child who had very big emotions and that shit's terrifying. Yeah, it's really scary. And like being told that you like just like pretty much man up, deal with it. Yeah. Just don't show it is like it puts so much pressure on you as a kid and it puts so much into that like that perfectionism uh thinking because like you have to be a certain way because you aren't allowed to have those big emotions or have those feelings around. And I think this is like, you know, this is a thing that is mirrored if you are um, a neurodivergent or disabled adult. Yes. Right? Like, as a kid, I'm not I'm not trying to compare, I'm not saying that disabled people are children. That's not what I'm saying here. But when you're a kid, your emotions literally are bigger. Right. Everything feels stronger. And you don't have the coping mechanism to figure out how to deal with those emotions and not let them 
Correct. Affect your whole life and day. But yet, there are adults and people in your life, at least when I grew up, who will just say things like, just deal with it. Just man up. Because not only do they... Are their emotions not that big? But they've already developed coping mechanisms. Yeah. And they take them for granted. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of the coping mechanisms that we learn in a society where our parents don't support that is a, is bad coping mechanisms. Yeah. It's, it's smoking and drinking. It's drugs. It's whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like hiding, having a second family in Oklahoma that you hide or whatever. Like... You know, like, and you take for granted that those are coping mechanisms because you never dealt with your childhood trauma. Right. And the same happens, I mean, the same thing happens to me as a, like, a neurodivergent person who has big emotions, who, like, deals with a lot of, like, really, like, earth-shattering stuff on, like, a day-to-day basis. Like, I have, like, a regular, like, breakdown once a week oh yeah twice a week like eight twelve times a month like that's that shit's fucking regular for me yeah but like when i say i'm having a bad day i don't mean it like a neurotypical means they're having a bad day no right like but people who are neurotypical will tell me to just get over it because Their bad day isn't my bad day. And because they have coping mechanisms that work for them. Right. And it's a lot harder to have those coping mechanisms or have them work when your brain doesn't work right. Or the same thing happens if you're disabled and your body doesn't work the same way as other people's bodies does. And people will say, well, just do it. Like, why can't you push through it? Like, can't you just, like, push through the pain? It's like, no, I can't because it's not like your pain. It's not... You know? Yeah. I highly identified with Elsa, like, or at least could, like, identify with the story and the pressure that she went under a lot. And, like, I think as a neurodivergent person, having that ability and being able to have a way to explain to neurotypicals and be like, I'm like that. It's right. like that. Like, right. it's, you know, like, you can understand it in this context, so let me use that to help you build empathy for me. Right. And so you can understand. And I think I'm pretty sure, like, I'm seeing those patterns in younger and younger kids because they have these reference points and they have these characters who can say all of that and have all of these like really powerful backstories in such a simple way and in such a great way that they can have that conversation at a younger and younger age. Totally. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, I think the central thesis of this podcast or one of them anyway, is like how much better it is for kids now than it was even just 30 years ago when I was a kid. Like, we had this conversation. We were just, like, hanging out on the porch smoking, having this conversation the other day about how, like, Gen Z is just, like, objectively better than any of us have ever been. And it's amazing. And I, I posit that it is because Gen Z is the first generation who has good parents. Yeah. Like... Their parents are support. Like, I I mean, this is a part of it is because I'm gay. And yeah. so, like, that skews my sample of, like, 
people I know and their relationship right. with their parents. But, like, I don't know anyone who has a good relationship with their parents. Yeah. Not a single one. Like, even straight people I know are on thin ice with their parents. Yeah. So, like, I really truly think that Gen Z is a testament to what happens when you actually raise your fucking kids. Yeah. Like, when you actually do the parenting work of parenting your kids and being there for them and being uncomfortable sometimes because having kids is uncomfortable. Being a kid is uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, the least you can do is also make yourself uncomfortable for your kid. Yeah. I I absolutely agree. And I, I think that shift is going to be something interesting to watch over the next couple of years and to see how, especially as... Gen Z is coming of age. Yeah. And... I'm fascinated to have see what happens when Gen Z has kids. Yeah, I am too. Because I don't... I They're going to be like superhuman <laughs> glowing... They're glowing fucking uh, energy squids. Like, <laughs> I don't even understand. Like, a second generation of people... With a good relationship with their parents, like, yeah. and a good relationship with their grandparents, like, yeah. can you imagine having grandparents who don't say transphobic or racist shit? I oh, can't. Oh boy! Because I don't have those people. No. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. World changing. It turns out to just like be, be fucking kind to people. Yeah. <sighs> Go figure. Right. It is. I have a question. I have a legitimate question. Uh huh. And I. I've been thinking about this a lot, but is Kristoff a furry? The way he relates to reindeer makes me think he's a furry. I, fuck. Fuck. (laughs) Fuck. Nothing against furries. No, no, no. I I mean, look, we have some great friends who are furries, but like, I, I, yeah, I think Kristoff might be a furry. I mean, because it's not. Here's the thing. Kristoff and Sven... Are not fucking. No. That's not no, that's not, not I don't think all. that's what anybody's saying. I think Kristoff thinks he and Sven are like best friends because they're both reindeer. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Look, I get it. He grew up in the woods with only reindeer and troll. He's gonna be a weird kid. Yeah. But you know, there's also there's also this throwaway line at the end of the first movie that fucking or is it the second one? It's the second one where Anna like just looks at Kristoff and goes, it's okay. I like you and leather better anyway. And I'm just like, no, this is a kid's movie. <laughs> I know you have to make some jokes for the adults, but yeah. my goodness. Yeah, um, anyway, quite good. Yeah. I think Kristoff, Kristoff is like one of the great shining lights. Like, Man, every character in this movie is so good. Yeah, they like, really are. Kristoff is amazing, although I'm sorry, Jonathan Groff. I, I, you're an amazing actor. I love everything you do. Please come on the podcast. You can't play straight. No. I'm so sorry. You can't. But it's so that I think that's part of why it's so hard to read like Kristoff and Sven as not a couple. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Groff is so obviously gay, and, in some way. And it, it, I mean, we're all, we're also rewatching Mindhunter right now, and it, you know he looks straight enough driving in a car in profile, and then you know he talks, and a purse falls out of his mouth, <laughs> and 
there's just, I mean, there's nothing he could do about it. It's not his fault. We it all works have for the him. voices we have. It just like, it just, <laughs> every time a character of his falls in love with a woman, I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I guess this is like bisexual, male bisexual erasure of me to pretend that people who sound gay can't be bisexual. I guess that's true. I should check my, I should check my bias, I suppose. As a bisexual, I thank you for checking your bias. <laughs> also, just like Kristoff and John, okay, I love Kristoff. I mean, I love a good outdoorsy guy at any point. Right, yeah. Um, I would date Kristoff in a fucking second. Ask consent to Furry kiss. Furry or no, I don't right? care. I'll wear a suit. I don't know, it's fine. He asks Anna's consent to kiss her, which, yes. like. Can I kiss you? Oh. Uh, perfect is willing to give her her space and like deals with his own like fear of losing her and like faces that and is like you know what i'm secure in this relationship that's okay i know she'll come back when she needs me yeah and he doesn't like the second movie when he's trying to propose like he doesn't make a big deal out of it he doesn't get angry he's like we're busy a thing is happening i can wait i totally understand this is not the moment right I mean, and I think in a worse movie, he tries to propose at the beginning of the movie. They get into a fight where she's like, can we not do this right now? Right. I'm in the middle of some shit. And then they're fighting through the whole movie and they have to make exactly. up at the end. But that's. But that's, this is a good movie. This is a good movie. <laughs> Don't do that. And like, also, I'm a sucker for a 90s style pop ballad. Like uh, his pop ballad, Lost in the Woods. Yeah. Uh, in the second movie is so good. It's real good. It's a fucking it's definitely it's a like bop. a pop ballad for sure i think since we're talking about jonathan groff there's a reading of this movie where literally everyone is gay oh every single person like elsa i think is probably like an asexual like homo romantic person but like i think everybody in this movie is potentially gay oh yeah <laughs> I mean, I also think that everyone is, like, I, I am I also, of, in my life, assume that everyone around me is gay. Yeah, I firmly believe that no one is straight. Um, I, another thing that Gen Z is proving is that, like, turns out being totally straight isn't actually the norm. It's just the thing that we've trained people about forever. Yeah. I will die on this hill, but Elsa is a queer icon, and <laughs> uh, all of her numbers are very relatable as a queer person. I mean, she's definitely, I love uh, that she's definitely can be read as ace and like having yeah. a character who's not obsessed with romance and a character who like is fulfilled by platonic love is chef's kiss. Right. And not necessarily just because she's like a tomboy. No. Right. Like, I feel like that's, that's what happens in Brave. Yeah. Right. Where she's like. There's a reading of Brave where she doesn't want to get married because she's trans right. or right. gender queer or something. Right. And, like, she doesn't want, want to be, be reminded of her femininity. Right. But that is not the case with Elsa. No. Like, we know her to be feminine from the beginning. And she embraces it and, like, you know, is a femme queen. I love it. Yeah. But I'm, her numbers are so, like, you have Let It Go, which... Oh, I mean... Yeah, Dina Menzel, Zell, Jesus like, Christ, has been narrowed. Be, be better. Oh wait, you can't, can't because you're perfect. 
Dina Manzel has been like singing songs that relate to me way too heavily since I was a child. Since and, literally you were born. Yeah, because yeah, Wicked ruined me. But uh, Let It Go, you have like the whole like coming out, like letting go of everyone's perceptions of you, being able to have a space where you're safe, where you can be yourself, where you are able to be yourself and have people who you want around you where you have those walls and barriers and can start setting boundaries right her first number um into the unknown in the second movie is that whole like feeling of leaving the what you know and the stability that you have as a person and like especially as like a straight passing person and like actually like taking those steps into like becoming yourself and continuing forward even though like totally you don't know what's ahead and you have that like fear of what you have the fear of the unknown and it's fucking brilliant yeah and I, yeah i think especially that speaks to like the experience of queerness in that growing up with straight parents as most of us do like they there's no way for them to prepare you no like they can try, even if they do try, which most straight parents don't, like my parents just like prayed that I would be straight and hope that would fix it. Um, but like, even if your parents do try, they can't really understand your experience. So it is, it is always a little bit a leap of faith. Like mm-hmm. there is always some amount of just like, you know, into the unknown about it because there's there's not really, like, a p- path paved before you. Yeah. And, and I think that's why, uh, again, here's a tangent, that's why a lot of us get in trouble yeah. in early relationships. A lot of us end up dating older people or abusive people or people we don't actually like just because no one's ever taught us no. that how to be in a relationship as a gay person. And, like... No one is no one is watching. Like no. no one's looking out because you have to be secretive about it because it has to be under mm-hmm. under wraps. You can't tell your parents. Your parents can't say, "Hey, maybe you shouldn't be dating a twenty five year old. You're sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but like have like having that feeling so precisely summed up into a song is wild it's amazing and i fucking and then you have her last number in when she's in the fucking glacier and like it's this whole idea of her like being like it's that whole like figuring out your self-validation and like figuring out like the uh, feeling home in your own body in your own self which like as a trans person is takes a long time it takes a long time and like especially as a gender non-conforming non-binary person like yeah, i can't imagine it's take well, like i can't imagine <laughs> it's you know I, gender is such a weird concept that you don't necessarily having like having that w- a way to communicate that feeling of like finally figuring out who you are and how to be alive in your body and how to be comfortable in your body and be able to be like this is a two minute song that can that can encapsulate all of that is fucking incredible it's amazing and i call disney cowards for not just making it a queer story and it should have been yeah oh so you know the 
songs for this were all written by a husband and wife team. I did not. Uh, Robert Lopez and uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez. Okay. And yeah, I think it like, they're incredible. I think I heard them on an episode of Go Fact Yourself. That would make sense. Somebody was talking about musicals, doing questions about musicals. Go check out that podcast, uh, Go Fact Yourself, if you haven't. It's like every other podcast we recommend on here, way better produced than this one. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, anyway, I don't know why I brought that up other than to say that they're really great. And all this music is so good. It's so good. And I think having a husband and wife team, like, helps give that perspective, right? Like, I think if this were, um, you know, if this were an Alan Menken movie... It wouldn't have that amount of perspective, I think. Yes. You know, especially because, like, they have kids, and I know for a fact that they were, like, raising their kids while writing the songs for this. Uh-huh. And I can't imagine that not having some influence on... It's gotta. ...the, you know, sort of relationship to these two sort of child characters or childlike characters anyway anyway absolutely i just thought that was interesting also adina menzel started on started in rent in 1996 uh two years after you were born so literally your entire Entire life life. she's been on broadway my (laughs) 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 that checks out anyway anyway since we're talking about how good the songs are and how like applicable they can be i wrote this thing uh this there's a song in here um i don't know what it's called but i called it the next right choice in yes. my notes that's just about like pushing forward and just like doing the next thing like yeah not worrying about planning all the way ahead just like doing the ne- the next right thing right which like as a person who struggles with depression is it's huge. huge because like Depression has this way of making everything seem way heavier than it is. Yeah. And so projecting yourself out into a future where you're happy seems impossible. Yeah. So it it is literally impossible. Yeah. But so like literally the only thing you can do is just like do make the next do keep putting one foot in front of the the other. other. Like do anything. Try and do something that makes you happy but just like keep going yeah. just like stay alive and that's like that's what the that's best enough thing you can do. right yeah and again having something to point to and tell neurotypicals like it's like that right like because you like you can talk about it as much as you want like day in and day out but like you're not gonna understand what it feels like to have the weight of existence pushing down on you until you feel it totally and you know having those bad days and you know those moments of taking it step by step is such a powerful message and to be able to like be have a hero break down it like sh- like show that it's okay to be affected by the trauma right. you're going through it's and it's okay, okay to be weak in the moment, moment. and yeah. like you don't have to push through and just but just keep taking one step at a time right um but yeah <laughs> <laughs> these movies are like some of my favorite some of my favorite disney movies uh as like i've seen the new wave of disney a million times and Frozen continues to be one of my favorites. Yeah, when we do our Disney run, it's going to be interesting to compare because I know for a fact 
none of them, like, feminism-wise, will hold a candle oh, to, to Frozen. So it'll be interesting to kind of measure everything against that bar. Absolutely. And also, like, to see, like, this movie doesn't exist without Tangled. No, it does not. Tangled in particular, but... I, a lot of the early, the yeah. new Disney Renaissance, yeah. like, combination 3D, yeah. 2D animation stuff. Like, Frozen, I feel like, is kind of the apotheosis, the kind yeah, of, like, absolutely. pinnacle of that stuff. And I don't know that I, I don't know that it would be possible to make a movie or a couple of movies that, that we as a podcast approve of more <laughs> than this one. Like... Truly, is there anything that they could do to make this movie, like, more, like, empathetic and progressive and understanding and, like, anti-racist and that, like, the the one thing for me as, you know, like, a crazy radical communist you could do would be to, like, deconstruct the monarchy and, like, give everyone, like, you know, equal resources and stuff, but, like... This is basically a perfect movie, is what I'm trying to say. Like, in <laughs> yeah. every other aspect, that wouldn't really work in a kid's movie. I feel like that yeah. would be a little message. But um, <laughs> I think this is, like, for this podcast, perfect movie. Yeah. I I can't believe, like, we've never had a movie before where we were like, great, I it's don't awesome. Think- Show this to your kids. It's fucking great. Like, don't even have to coach them through stuff. Just show this to your kids. I don't know if we're going to come across another one. It's going to be a while. Yeah. Knowing what's up on the docket. It's, it's going to be a minute. It's going to be a minute. But yeah, uh, do you want to do rapid fire last thoughts? Yeah, let's just go do a, like a, a lightning round of all of our last thoughts. Okay, so I always laughed at the line uh, the sky's awake so I'm awake cuz it's fucking adorable. I have that note too because I'm literally that's me. I'm that way. Right? But also they're in Norway, prop Sweden, Nordic. Uh Norway. With Norway, of course the sky's awake. The sun's up for all the time. <laughs> it's summer. The sun's up all the time. That's true. Which makes sense, but also that is I relate very heavily with Anna's reaction to the ball happening and like putting so much pressure on one night because, oh my God, there's people. Right. Don't call me out like that. The dad early in this movie um, is reading a book that is filled with runes. And yes, runes are a writing system, but that's not really how you use them. As far as we know, the Norse people never like wrote books in runes they're mostly just used for like ceremonial purposes but anyway i'm being a pedant i love alan tudyk oh fucking alan tudyk as the duke of weaseltown fucking he's so so good good. like alan tudyk is a consummate uh voice actor like he's he's a fine regular human actor but like he's in everything and he's so good in like any kind of different yeah you know i love him he's the the villain in wreck it ralph the like evil of course the the race the i can't forget i can't remember his name but uh yeah fun fact i've only seen the first half of wreck it ralph i've never seen the full thing oh yeah he's the like um, he's the race car race villain yeah yeah um race villain makes him sound like a kkk member definitely (laughs) Another favorite line, I don't have a skull or bones from Olaf. Like, <laughs> uh, man, the comedy from Olaf 
is so good. Like, I feel like a lot of these comic relief characters in movies just, like, turn into, like, dumb fart machines. Yeah. But, like, Olaf is so funny. And then in the second movie that he's like, oh, we didn't talk about this. Oh, my God. How did we not talk about this? In the second movie, Olaf, like, goes through the whole journey of being a child. Oh, yeah, Turning into an adult. But in the course of, like, six hours. I know. The poor guy. <laughs> he's just like, am I going to not exist one day? Like, what's it like to be someone who's not me? Like, he goes through all the, like, classic existential, like, experiences of growing up. But, like, in a second. <laughs> and it's so good. Like, it's interesting. It's funny. And if you're a kid... It's an interesting way to look and go like, oh, okay, it's okay that I'm struggling with this stuff. Yeah. And I'm probably going to keep struggling with this stuff. And that's okay, too. Yeah, absolutely. That I wasn't very rapid fire, but it's no, okay. No, it's okay. I have in here that ice is an interesting metaphor for teenage isolation. Oh. And that you tend, to, you know, like, you kind of, like, box people. When you're a teenager, you tend to kind of, like, box people out. And it's pretty, but it's, like, it's still a cage. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, I think also this movie, like, there's a reading of this movie where, like, Anna is going through puberty. Yeah. And, or Elsa's going through puberty and, like, Anna doesn't understand. Yeah. And, like, you could read it as, like, I can't communicate with this about you because you haven't shared this experience yet. And so it's easier for me to just, like, wall this whole thing up. Yep. I see that. Also, when Anna is searching for Elsa... After she disappears in the first movie, um, she dies from hypothermia like three different times. Right. She falls in the water. Like we talked about this before. She falls in the water and then she doesn't change her clothes so she's dead. She Yeah. <laughs> yeah you don't make it to that sauna, girl. <laughs> oh, also, they call it out as a lute. Kristoff's lute. It's not a lute. Um, it has five strings but only four pegs. I don't know how that works. It is very weird to me. I've never seen a five-stringed, four-pegged instrument. Also, oh God, I'm such a pedant. Lutes are coursed instruments, so they wouldn't have they wouldn't have five strings. It would have ten strings because they come in double sets. It doesn't matter. As a person who plays a coursed <laughs> instrument, this is a this is an important point to, for me to make. I love you. Yes, I I know. I'm sorry that I'm like this. Um, there's. <laughs> Another line, uh, there's a, a line that really hit home uh, in the second movie that Kristoff, no, that uh, Anna says to Elsa um, when they find their parents' ships. Uh, she says, you're not responsible for their choices, Oof. which like just gutted me. And yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. I feel like a lot of kids need that. Yeah, a lot of people need to remember like, it can feel like it's your fault but you did not make choices. And I think especially as a child, you know, like when you have parents make decisions for you and that go badly, like knowing that like you're not responsible for the choices they made and how unhappy they are in their life right. because you didn't make those choices. Right. And especially like I think that's a great lesson if you come from like a tumultuous home or right. a home with divorce like I did. Like that is a good lesson in like – this isn't about you. Like sometimes people just make bad decisions and yeah. they don't think about how it's going to affect the people around them necessarily. Yeah. And that's not your fault. No. My last note is that Anna and Elsa's mom puts them to sleep the same way I put my cat to sleep by stroking the bridge of their nose. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's going to be a weird transition to my last thing, which is about how the second movie is about white people whitewashing history oh, to, yeah, prevent, to pretend that they never committed genocide. Oh, yeah, it is. Hardcore like, it There is. are not many kids' movies that are about the whitewashing of genocide. But that is the Frozen Two is about is explicitly about like, you know, the genocide of indigenous peoples. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. More movies about the genocide of indigenous peoples, please. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um... <laughs> I don't mean that makes it sound like yeah. I have like a I have like a genocide fetish, and that's not what I'm getting at. I just like exposing history that makes people uncomfortable. Because if you're not uncomfortable, you're not some, growing. Then something is wrong, right? You're, that's good. That's a good way to think so what about I, it. I think. Okay, I think that uh, talk, going back to Olaf, Olaf really shows this really well. And this is something like you have to teach kids a lot: is like stepping outside. Growing is uncomfortable, and like you have to. <laughs> his song uh, in the second movie, uh, "When I'm Older, I'll Understand All of This Shit." Right. Both repressing trauma, which right. is a, one way to do it, um, but also is kind of true of, like, you might not understand why you're uncomfortable right now, but in, you know, a few weeks, in a few months, in a few years, it you might be able, you'll be able to look back and be like, oh, I have moved from that position and that right. uncomfortableness has made me better, or, yeah. like, I have been able to grow from that uncomfortableness and i think it's something really important that we need to teach kids because being uncomfortable sucks yeah and like there is this because humans are you know like we are fucking animals like we crave safety and comfort like yeah because we we equate comfort with safety because it means like reliability right like comfort i the things that i know i know how to anticipate what they're gonna do and at least if they're bad i can anticipate how they're gonna be bad right so it doesn't have the same threat level to it so there's always going to be this push towards the equilibrium of comfort and so yeah you do have to like actively push kids and actively push yourself i I struggle with this as an adult yeah like actively push yourself out of your comfort zone because as a human person as a an ape who puts clothes on and goes to a job all day like your brain wants to be in one place doing the same thing all the time because it's safe yeah and that's just not how you can really like be a complete human being anymore in the 21st century gotta grow Growing is important. Right. It's it's the human experience. Yeah.